Father in heaven, we want to agree together today as a family of believers for the church, for the people, for the nation of Ukraine. Father, I ask you that your hand would be upon them as war is being brought upon them. I pray that you would protect those that are coming from places around the world to bring relief. Those who are in ministry that are, that are there to bring hope and life and the gospel of Jesus Christ to those people, those that are concentrating their efforts around the border. Father, I pray safety. I pray a spirit of peace, Lord, upon that nation and on those surrounding nations. And Father, I pray that in the days and weeks to come that we will hear incredible miracles that are happening there because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. And I want to start off with kind of making a statement here um, that I think is true for most of us, and it is this, that most of us hate waiting. I think that's pretty true for most of us. I know that it's true for me. But just in case you're wondering and, and thinking maybe you, you don't hate waiting, I've got a little test for you. I want you to try this next time you're out driving in town. I want you, when you are at a stoplight and the light turns green, I want you to think to yourself, probably shouldn't try this because it could be dangerous, but think to yourself, could I wait through this green light and through another red light? I know that there have been times when I've been waiting at, a, at a, a, a red light and it turns green and I'm anticipating being able to get through that light and through that intersection and go on to my destination where something happens and I'm not able to get through the light and the light eventually turns red again and I can't get through until the next green light. And I know for me that that is something that really tests my patience. Studies tell us that the average American, probably not in Marquette, but the average American spends six months of their lives at traffic lights. You know, with that kind of a number, maybe these roundabout things really are a good idea. We're also told by studies that the average American will spend five years of their lives waiting. In the month of March, we're going to start this new series beginning today called The Waiting Game. And today I'd like to share a message about really probably my favorite Old Testament character, a man named Joseph. Joseph has more chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to him than any of the other Old Testament patriarchs. Joseph, we find out in Scripture, was his father's favorite son. Now, that might not seem like much to you, but in a family of three boys, that's something that we joke about all the time, that one or the other is mom and dad's favorite. But Joseph was indeed his father's favorite. In fact, so much so that his dad gave him a very special coat. 
It was symbolic not only of his father's love for him, not only of, of just the fact that he was the favorite, and, and not only was he the favorite, but he was the second to the youngest of, of the sons. But it really was a symbol that Joseph would be the primary heir of all of his father's possessions. And as you can imagine, this really caused a problem in the family. His brothers became incredibly jealous of him. To make matters worse... Joseph had a gift. God would speak to Joseph through dreams. And Joseph, being a young man, not having maybe as much wisdom as he should, freely shared those dreams with his older brothers, maybe when he should have kept them to himself. But as he shared those dreams with them, they became very concerned, and it really ratcheted up the situation. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5, it says, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. So let me ask you this. What kind of a dream would God give this young man, Joseph, that would cause his brothers to actually hate him and to hate him all the more? Well, the first dream was pretty simple. Joseph had a dream that he and his brothers were out in the field and they were gathering sheaves of grain. And as they were binding their sheaves, Joseph's sheaf stood straight up while his brother's sheaves all bowed down before him. The interpretation of this dream by his brothers was that Joseph thinks that he will rule over us. The second dream that Joseph had was a little bit different. He had a dream where he saw the sun and the moon and 11 stars. These stars and the sun and moon, they bowed down to Joseph. And his brothers interpreted this dream as Joseph thinking that, or his brothers thinking that Joseph believed that they would bow down to him. They wondered, does this guy think that he's somehow better than we are? His brothers hated him. His father rebuked him. And his brothers even debated on whether or not they would kill him. Well, they decided instead of killing him, they were going to sell him into slavery. They told their father that he had been killed by wild animals. Now, this may sound like the end of Joseph's life, but in reality, it is actually the beginning. And throughout his life, Joseph learned to wait on God. And there are three things today that I want us to look at that Joseph learned while he was waiting that I think will be very helpful to you and I in our Christian lives. The first thing that Joseph learned was he learned how to be obedient. For just a moment, I want you to think about the first job that you ever had in your life. You know, my first unofficial job was milking cows. For one summer, I lived on the farm with the farmer and his wife, and I milked cows twice a day. It was actually a lot of fun. I learned a lot of great responsibility, learned how to do hard work. But my first 
real paying job was at McDonald's. Boy, that says a lot just right there, but what an experience that was. You know, at our first job, we learn how to take orders. We learn how to follow instruction from our superiors. In Joseph's life, Joseph had a total number of three jobs in his entire life. The first job that he had, it doesn't sound like a job because he was in slavery. But he was bought as a slave by a man named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was an official who worked for Pharaoh. And, and Potiphar was what was called the captain of the guard. So he was a military man, and he worked for Pharaoh. Now, Joseph, he went to work for Potiphar, and just like me at McDonald's or you at your first job, he had to start at the very bottom, but we see that he didn't stay there very long. I'm reminded of a saying that Dr. Meyer used to say to everyone who took uh, Old Testament history in his class when I was in school, and he would say, cream rises to the top. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He didn't stay at the bottom. He rose to the top. In fact, he was placed in charge of Potiphar's house. Everything was under Joseph's care. The Bible says that Potiphar only worried about one thing. He worried about the food that he put in his mouth. In other words, he completely trusted Joseph. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. We see that God gave Joseph success in everything that he did. He found favor in the eyes of his master. And the Bible says in that verse that we read that he lived in the house with his master. And you might wonder why this is a big deal, but not all slaves lived in the house of their master. You see, there had to be a certain amount of trust that was built up. There had to be a certain amount of, of proving that was done before this would take place. You see, Joseph, in the midst of his slavery, he didn't attempt to run away. He didn't attempt to abuse the responsibility that he was given, but he worked hard, and God gave him success. And he carried on all of his work with a tremendous sense of excellence. So he wasn't kept in chains, but he was trusted. In fact, we read later in the story that, that Potiphar's wife really took a liking to Joseph and she came on to him. And if Joseph would have been the kind of, of guy that would have uh, wanted to move ahead with this, that, that Joseph could have really um, kind of had it all in, in, in maybe in some people's minds. But instead he responded to her, how could I do such a wicked thing? How could I sin against God and against your husband? You see, humanity has an issue with obedience. We see it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden, God gave Adam one rule, just one. And that rule was, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
And of course, we know that Adam ate of that tree and he sinned. In Psalm 51, verse 5, David in his prayer of repentance says this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The Apostle Paul tells us that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have fallen short of perfection. Isaiah says that all we like sheep have gone astray. I'm so glad that even though we've gone astray, even though we have all sinned, that God's forgiveness is available to us through Jesus' sacrifice and atonement on the cross. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22 says this, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Maybe you've heard it said before that it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. The Bible tells us that obedience is better than having to ask for forgiveness. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says this. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus links love and obedience together. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, the writer of Hebrews says, Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. This is speaking of Jesus the Messiah, that Jesus learned obedience to his heavenly Father by suffering in his life here on earth. Jesus submitted himself fully to the Father. Joshua submitted himself and he obeyed Potiphar. Waiting teaches us to obey Father God. Next, Joshua learned to serve. You see, Joshua was falsely accused of rape. He was sent to prison. And it wasn't just any prison. It was really a special prison. It was the prison where all the king's prisoners were kept. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter. You might even wonder how we know that he wasn't angry or that he wasn't bitter. And I think we know the answer to that because Joshua, or Joseph continued to serve others even while he was in prison. As we read his story, we read that he began to serve the warden the same way that he served Potiphar. Not only did he serve the warden, but he, con he continued to serve others. He continued to serve prisoners, other prisoners that were there. And eventually, he served people like Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's cupbearer. In Genesis chapter 39 and verse 22, it says, So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. You see, just like Potiphar, the warden didn't have to worry about anything that was under Joseph's care. He was able to allow him to, to carry out those responsibilities knowing that what was under his charge would get done. God gave Joseph 
favor and he gave him success. Joseph was responsible for everyone and everything in that prison, and he continued to serve those inmates. He continued to serve the warden. He eventually was able to serve the cupbearer and the baker when they had dreams, and no one could interpret those dreams. And Joseph said to them, you know what? The interpretation belongs to God. Go ahead, tell me your dreams, and I will interpret them. As Joseph interpreted their dreams, there was some good news for one and there was some bad news for the other. You see, one of them was going to be restored to his job in Pharaoh's court, but the other one was going to lose his life and he would be beheaded. Joseph continued to selflessly serve others, even as a prisoner. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45 we read that for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This isn't just an observation of Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus understood that he came to serve others. I think it's very interesting that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And as you read through the scripture, you realize that Jesus washed the feet of Judas, knowing that he was going to be betrayed, and yet he follows through and he washes Judas's feet. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 26, the second half of the verse, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. While waiting for his dream, the dream that God gave him, Joseph learned to serve others. And I want you to know that God has called us to serve others as well. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, the apostle Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not let your freedom, uh, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Now, hopefully you're not finding yourself in a place where you've been falsely accused and placed in prison but you may be finding yourself waiting on God for something that you believe God has spoken to your heart. And you're waiting for some sort of an answer from God. Waiting is an opportunity where we can learn to serve God and serve others. Thirdly, Joseph, while he was waiting on God's answer, while he was waiting for the dream that God had promised him, learned not to complain. As we read Joseph's story, it was two years of being in prison, serving the needs of the inmates, serving the warden, when Joseph finally meets two people that worked for Pharaoh. One of them was the baker, one of them was the cupbearer. And he was able to, uh, to, to interpret their dreams. Two years goes by. Joseph's kindness has been forgotten. We read about it in Genesis chapter 41. And Pharaoh has a dream. 
And it was uh, a dream that no one could interpret. And the cupbearer was reminded of Joseph's gift while he was in prison because that dream was interpreted and it came true for the cupbearer. And so the cupbearer remembered that he had promised Joseph that he would let Pharaoh know that he had been wrongly accused and unjustly imprisoned. Genesis chapter 41 and verse 9, it says, Then the cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh has Joseph brought in from the prison. He has him cleaned up. Joseph appears before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I've had a dream. Can you interpret it? In Genesis 41, verse 16, it says, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so Joseph, after hearing Pharaoh's dream, was able to interpret that dream. And he was able to advise Pharaoh on how to survive the seven lean years that were coming. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh. In fact, we read in Scripture that Pharaoh believed that there was no one else like Joseph in the entire kingdom. And in Genesis 41, 38, it says, So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, on whom, on, one in whom is the Spirit of God? It's interesting to me that through all of this, by being betrayed by his family, that Joseph never complained about his brothers. That by being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and being uh, put in prison wrongfully by Potiphar, Joseph never complains. And then being in prison and being forgotten while unjustly there and being forgotten by those that he had treated well, he still never complained. He never complained about the years of his life that were lost. He never complained about the dream that God gave him, the dream that cost him so much. In Mark chapter 15 and verse, verses 4 and 5, we read as we get toward uh, the crucifixion, it says, So again, Pilate asked him, meaning Jesus, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Jesus did not defend himself before Pilate. In Isaiah 53, verse 7, we read about the Messiah, that he was oppressed. And this was written 750 plus years before Jesus comes on the scene. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. I'm sure that's how you and I would handle things. If we were falsely accused, if we were oppressed, if we were being mistreated, that we would be silent. It's against our nature to keep quiet. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, the Apostle Paul tells us, do everything without grumbling or arguing. P. 
Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9, that we should offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Even in doing something that's good, we can tend to grumble in the process. Jesus takes things even a little bit further. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus said, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. <clears throat> if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. So Jesus is saying when we're mistreated, rather than speaking up, rather than defending ourselves, rather than making a big deal about it, literally turn to them the other cheek. James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That doesn't sound to me like complaining. It sounds completely the opposite of that. You know, maybe today you find yourself waiting You've been waiting on God. Maybe it's something that you've been praying about for a long time. Maybe it's something that you feel like God has for you. Maybe it's something that, that you feel that God has even spoken to you. And you think to yourself, man, this is, this is taking forever. I, I don't know if I can wait any longer. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 that, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, I want you to know that God has a sovereign purpose in your waiting, and that God wants us to learn to be obedient that God wants us to learn a sense of patience, that God wants us to learn to become content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. I'm reminded of words that we read in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. The moment that these words are spoken are the moment when Joseph's brothers have come to Egypt to find grain, to buy grain. And by this time, Joseph has been placed as the number two in all of Egypt under only Pharaoh himself. And Joseph's brothers come and they kneel before him and they ask for grain. And eventually Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. And here's what he says to them. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That was God's sovereign purpose. The dreams that God had given Joseph as a young man were dreams that God had given him in order to bring him to the place where many lives would be saved, including his own family. But you know what? Joseph would have never imagined that. And without God leading the way, Joseph never would have got there. But God had a sovereign plan. And I want you to know that God has a sovereign plan in your life. 
In fact, Jeremiah the prophet says that God has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you, not to harm you. And you feel that you've been waiting so long for God to do what what you believe that he is going to do. And the whole time you're impatient, the whole time maybe you've been complaining, and God sovereignly desires to do other things in our lives. So as we look throughout this month of being in a time of waiting, if you find yourself in that place today, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to begin to seek out the sovereign plan of God in your life and begin to say, God, what is it that you are teaching me during this time of waiting? What is your sovereign plan in all of this for my life? And I believe that God will do great things in your life during this time of waiting. You know, my family and I, we know what it is to wait on God for something that is very important and very precious to us. And it's easy to get impatient. It's easy to feel like like we, we just want an answer from him. But I know that God has a sovereign plan. And I know that he is with us. And I know that that he has an answer. I don't know what it is and I don't know when I'll understand it. But I believe that in all of it, he has a sovereign will, a sovereign plan that he is acting out. The Bible says that, that literally, that, that for those of us that are called according to God, uh, to his purpose, that, that there are so many good things that he has in store for us. We may not understand it all. We may not understand when those answers will come. But I am sure of this, that God has his sovereign plan for your life and for mine. Would you pray with me? Our precious Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, for those that are not just listening, but those that are in the valley of decision, those that are waiting on you, and they're, they're, they're waiting for something big in their life, and they don't really understand it. Maybe like Joseph, they feel like something has been spoken to them years earlier, and they feel like there's something that's coming, and it's coming from you, and they don't know when, and they're frustrated, and they're impatient, and maybe they find themselves complaining. Maybe they find themselves struggling to obey you during this time of waiting. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to move in us during a time of waiting and that we will begin to really look at the sovereign purpose of God in all of this in our lives. Father, I pray today that you would bring, Lord, a a sense of comfort, a sense of peace to these circumstances. God, thank you today that your Holy Spirit is with us and that your sovereign plan is being acted out on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us here today. I look forward to being with you again very soon. God bless you and have a wonderful day.